Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, we meet up with Dr. Sasha, co-founder of the Wellness Revolution app that is here to transform the health industry in New Zealand. Dr. Sasha had an interesting and shifting career from working in advertising and then changing to become a doctor and now a co-founder of a tech company. She talks about her journey and how she never really fit it into a box. A living example that you can always change what you are doing if it doesn't fit what you want out of life. start with introducing yourself. Hi, I'm Sasha. Uh, I'm one of the founders of, or co-founders of Well Revolution, uh, and also happen to be a doctor, amongst other things. (laughs) Cool. Um, What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, My (laughs) four-year-old. You have no idea how many people say that. (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's not by choice, man. It's just like, oh, you got to get up. He'll be, actually, what he does is he happens to get himself into bed, and then you're like, Oh, hey. And he's like, it's time to get up. I'm hungry. I'm bored. Let's go. <laughs> um, could you, you have a quite an interesting background. Like, I know you started out in marketing or advertising, mm. and then you decided to become a doctor, and now you co founder of a startup. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit about your journey? <laughs> yeah, it's totally random, eh? It's so random. Uh, yeah, so I did, I finished school, I was quite young. And I didn't know what to do. I remember at high school, um, we had this, I went to a, like a, quite a small school and they made like a little book of like where everyone was going. And I was the only one that was like undecided. And then um, basically I ended up going to Victoria University and doing a business degree. And it wasn't particularly an inspired choice. I think it was just my father was like, oh yeah, you should go do that. And... I didn't really enjoy it very much at the time because I was sort of just going and plodding along and kind of was a bit lost for those years. And then I finished that and that was in marketing, law and accounting. Again, why I did that, I'm not quite sure, but I think I was just really lost and know what to do. So I finished it and then got a job in sales working for Konica Minolta, which is like a, um, a photocopying company. And, um, but actually that was like the best training, like the best sales training, the best, um, business training that you could kind of think of because like every office has a photocopier and it's so dull, but like the actual sales technique and how you learn to sell and how you make relationships and how you close contracts and close the sale and stuff was really good. And it was an amazing kind of training ground. I was the only female with all these guys and certainly learned to, you know, toughen myself up somewhat and, you know, learn those basic skills. Then I was kind of like, ah, yeah, nah, I don't want to sell photocopies for the rest of my life. Uh, So left there and then ended up coming into advertising. So I worked for Colenso BBDO up here in Auckland and ended up in the production team making ads and that was heaps of fun you know like we had a lot of fun 
made lots of friends I'm still friends with now and learn a different part of you know media and the industry and uh it was it was again really good training like very different like worlds apart from 25 guys in a sales room to like you know a big crew of humans and they're all super artistic and fun but I really enjoyed that as well and then my dad was in this terrible accident and he was in this sort of house explosion and um my folks are doctors and when that kind of happened it kind of it changed the dynamics of what the family how we all kind of worked inside the family and I was still quite young like I think I must have been 16 when I finished school uh, so I was 22 or 23 at the time and I decided to leave Colenso and go to medical school and everyone was like, what? <laughs> what are you doing that for? Uh, but I think just because of the dynamics of like a, you know, a big accident and like a lot of medical intervention and I'd thought of doing medicine and then that kind of kicked me off and I went back to medical school, um, started on that journey and about four years into medical school, I was kind of like, oh yeah, I don't know how I'm going to go as a doctor, you know, in this really straight-laced hierarchical thing. So that's kind of when I started to get interested in and start up, started at, you know, Taryn and I started at Women's Collective and we started at a couple of other companies and, and we just, I sort of started teaching myself the startup way and meeting people and getting in the groove of it all and then it all kind of snowballed and learned more and more and more and that early sales training and that environment and stuff helped me to see that um how much opportunity there is in health mm. and um that led me into sort of the health innovation tech landscape for health and yeah it kind of morphed into where we are now and how long have you been working for uh, well revolution well, we've been working on it for about four years or so, um, and you know we started with the sexual health facing company, which you yeah. still see now. But um, that was in 2018 that launched, and then following on from that, that's kind of when we got into the primary care space, and that's how we you know launched the app itself. And mm. are you still doing the sexual health? That's still yeah, that's still yeah. that continues on. I mean, yeah. that was an, in effect, it was a way of. Those packages, right? They yeah, like they were sexual. Yeah, sexual tests you could do yeah. at home and online consultations and treatment. Yeah. The the point of that was to find out, you know, can you create an end to end service that people want and that they'll pay for, but also that they really want, like they really value. And tech is a part of it, and I think people get kind of overly um, consumed with tech. But really, it's only a part of a whole offering for for a human, and so understanding that and how you put it together, how do you make it you know safe and sound for humans to to do from a clinical perspective, and then how do you coordinate the doctors, and how do you coordinate the treatments, and how do you get around all these hurdles and regulations in a safe, sound way? And yeah. so it was really good, and that so that yeah that launched in April two thousand and eighteen, and then from there it really evolved into thinking about the wider model of healthcare and primary healthcare and how do we how do we do stuff here in New Zealand that matters everywhere? And I think we've always had a very global outlook for the company um, right from the very start. So it definitely shaped the way we approach it and how we built the tech stack and how we see ourselves and stuff. Yeah. What was the one of the biggest motivation for you to go to a startup? Um, I think, yeah, like I was saying with... Um, you're still working as a doctor part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still, yeah, it's really important, I think, when you're leading 
um, a new industry in a way mm. um, that you keep yourself grounded to how it is because working as a doc still keeps you tapped into the people and the goss and the politics yeah. and all of the stuff that goes on with that, but also keeps you relevant clinically to understand, like you get to understand when someone's talking rubbish because you're like, actually, you know, that's not true or maybe you could do it this way. So I think that's been quite important and quite grounding in understanding how you take, because you've got to bring people with you. Mm. Like you have to push and you have to try things. Uh, and the majority of that, that market will just be like, well, I don't understand. But you still have to be able to bring them with you. So I think yeah. that's been an important juggle. And I think um, Dale Bramley, he's the CEO of Waitamata DHB, he'd said to me, listen, you're going to have to juggle. You know, you're going to have to do this crazy juggle thing. And no one's going to understand you. But just keep juggle, just juggle for as long as you can. Just keep it going. And so whenever things get really gnarly, and man, they've been gnarly for a while, I just think back to them like, yeah, yeah, that's right, Dale. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is part of life. <laughs> yeah, just because he was, he was right, you know. Like if you want to do new things and try new stuff, people won't understand and they'll think that you're really weird. And, yeah. and But you sort of, you know, that rhetoric and the language and you do sort of need their respect in a way in order to like get them to follow. So your business focused mainly on, it's not on the private GPs. Is it? Uh, well, no. In effect, we work alongside GP practices and um, give them a way to make things easier for them and the, and make it easier for the patients to download an app, see a doctor now. And so we have a, effectively we have a pool of doctors that are available if your GP isn't on the app at this stage. Yeah. Um, but GP practices are starting to see, oh, right, this is an end-to-end service. It's super fast. It's super easy. Oh, and I get paid really quickly. This is great. Yeah. And customers are like, oh, sweet. Well, I can download an app. I can see a doctor right now. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I can get a script. Oh, I can pick it up. Or I can have it delivered. Oh, man, you know, that no-brainer. Yeah. So I think people start to understand oh, all right, there's a new way of doing this. It doesn't need to be old and clunky and kind of super slow. And yeah. And how did uh, COVID affect your business? must have been helping with the yeah, implementation of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had been, we were, we've, everything we've done, we were always planning to do. Yeah. Um, so COVID in effect just sped a lot of things up yeah. uh, out of necessity. Uh, also because we had people who practices that were relying on us to help them through it and I think a huge part of primary care right now is it's a bit dire to be honest you know doctors and practices are struggling financially which seems strange Mm. in a pandemic that there's lots of practices going out of business and why is that um it's a combination of factors GP practices traditionally are hard businesses to run um they're high labor intense businesses so the humans need to be there and during covid the volumes really dropped off and the way they're funded from the from the from the ministry um basically isn't enough to keep them going so they really rely on seeing people in a traditional way so i think they they're really struggling in a lot of metrics and i think it's just it's going to be a super interesting time for health over the next two years especially but especially over the next kind of five years we'll see a lot a lot of change yeah um some of that, you know, I advocate for and advocate for this change in attitude and 
for a massive shakeup, but I also really feel for the industry mm. um, because this is people's lives and their businesses and their livelihoods. So I, I'm really proud of the fact that we, we, we want to help GPs out and we want to help their business and make it more successful in the, in the digital age. So, yeah. yeah. What would you say are some of the benefits of running a startup in New Zealand? I think New Zealand's ranked as the easiest country in the world for doing business, isn't it? For starting a business. Yeah, I think setting up, setting setting up, up a, a business, business is like the yeah. easiest country in the world. And it really is. Like it takes like 10 minutes and $150. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think those are definitely the benefits, like getting started, getting cracking. Um, there's a good startup culture in, in a way. Um, and I think there are more women getting into the space, which generally is pretty cool. Um but I think we we still sort of have a bit of a Kiwi mindset, which is we think quite little, mm. which is something I think well, I hope we start changing. You know, yeah. I think, you know, I mentioned it to you before that we Kiwis might not have like 5,000 developers waiting for a job, you know, and we don't have access to like talent and stuff as, as much as other countries. And we certainly do not have scale. Uh, what we do have is we have an appetite for difficult challenges mm. and we are really good creative abstract problem solvers so I think if you come at it from that angle like what is our unique niche mm. I think really that's what Kiwis really offers that we offer that systems thinking and we think about the whole picture um, whereas in other countries and traditionally in health the health market they'll they slice off little low-hanging fruit effectively and they just create a company out of a hair product or they create a company out of your own retract infections or yeah whatever and that that works if you've got 300 million people Mm -hmm. but we don't have that so it means that we have it takes a bit longer to solve the problem because you're kind of like oh man that's gnarly and how do we put that together and how would that work and this work and how do we motivate that and blah 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 but i in effect i think we um, the Kiwi kind of ingenuity thing and the creativity that we bring to a big problem, I think, really helps. Mm. Yeah, and I think one, uh, I think what we talked last time, we talked about this too, that you know, New Zealand is such a small country but a really diverse one. Yeah. So it's easy to take quite a complex problem mm. and trial it out. Yeah. On a diverse market, quite yeah. quickly. Yeah, and that's uh, in effect what we hear from. Yeah different parts of other markets is they're like oh that's super interesting that you've done it that way and oh yeah I can see and but that perspective I think places you ahead of other bigger markets because they're so so focused on one tiny niche yeah. I mean you do have to be very focused as a startup you can't tr- solve every problem <laughs> don't get me wrong <laughs> like, we're still just doing like one thing really well um, but I think it, it does give us a different perspective and you have to lean into what you're good at um and that's certainly how we run our company is that you know we're like well what are kiwis really good at or with this this or where are we going to get the develop developers that are really great maybe they're not here so i think you you just have to think of um yeah leaning into your strengths yeah as much as you can and then taking that perspective and then taking it to the world i think and i think um yeah, I think Kiwis, if we can keep focused on that, we're going to produce great companies. Yeah, I mean, there are some amazing 
companies that come from New Zealand startup yeah. the startup world have been doing really good yeah and I mean we have to and we, because we're so far away yeah again it's an advantage now right so yeah COVID, exactly. we're like yeah we're so far away woohoo <laughs> we're an island yes we used to hate that about ourselves and now we love it <laughs> exactly yeah you know like we're such a baby little country but you know I think we have to see that as an advantage yeah um, and use that competitive advantage. And now it's like, okay, well, now the whole world's embracing remote working. Okay, cool. What does that mean that we can do? Oh, actually, we can do all of these things now because we're not limiting ourselves. So I think the world's in a weird place, and I think yeah. it's going to take a bit of lateral thinking, yeah. <laughs> you know, to get us through the next couple of years. So you a really high achiever, my personality. <laughs> How do you cope with everything? <laughs> I mean, you have like several degrees. If Taryn was here right now, she'd be like, oh my God, Taryn, Sasha can't even get her shoelaces tied. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't see myself like that. I just, I'm easily bored. Um, and I've recently found out that I'm, I have dyslexia, which is something that I was like, oh, thank goodness. I figured it out. So my brain has also always been really fast and it just goes up fast and like keeps me awake and it's super annoying. But I think, um, again, I sort of see the advantage in that now is that if I, I've always thought differently and I've always thought fast and I've always seen the big picture and I can, I literally can remember that from like three or four years old Mm. and like, I can't spell to save my life, you know, but um, I kind of, with a really good memory, was able to get through yeah. stuff. So I think um, I would never describe myself in that way, but um, I came from a, you know, an immigrant family, politi- political refugees on my dad's side, and from uh, what was Yugoslavia at the time, and then they ended up in a polit- political refugee camp in, in Germany. And then New Zealand was the only country that took them in. Wow. I know. So we were just like dad's family was super lucky to to arrive here. And he was very young when he arrived. He was two or three. And then they settled in Wellington. And um, so that comes with a like with an incredibly strong work ethic and this desire to like provide and to succeed, you know, and do well. So that's kind of like literally at the back of my folks place. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm telling you this. <laughs> we have this sign that says winners never quit and quitters never win. And then we have this other statement which is work, work, work till you drop. Which I think is really unhealthy. Like who needs to work, work, work until they drop? I mean seriously. But uh, you know, so that was a big part of it, um, in 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 being super driven and kind of getting stuff done. Um, but then on the flip side, being super creative and kind of different you know diverse thinking um means that i don't know if i would if i didn't end up in startup land like i'd probably be an artist or um, who knows i'm just not very good at like just someone telling me what to do and me being like all right (laughs) like really like hang on but like there's a better way man yeah there's a faster there's a faster way for this to work yeah you know And I just, I'm not good in, like, with the hierarchical structures. Yeah. Is that one of the reasons why you felt like you didn't want to be a doctor, like, full-time? And I love being a doctor. Yeah. Like, I actually really enjoy it. Like, the when you're with one person and you're, like, helping them and they're, like, you, the, you can see that, you know, they're having those light bulb moments and you're, like, oh, I'm really helping them. It's, like, super satisfying. Yeah. Um, but then, conversely, you're in this big system 
uh, that's really frustrating. Hard to change. And there's met, yeah, all these issues and you're like, why is this taking so long? And there's like all these inefficiencies. And, and so you just keep looking at it thinking, man, this could be like so much better. Or like, why are we doing it that way? Like, why can't we do it this way? And, you know, there's, man, there's, the opportunities are endless. And I think, you know, the health industry is like, it's an awesome place to be. How have COVID changed the healthcare industry? We kind of talked about that a bit, didn't we? I think COVID's changed the health industry definitely for the better. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it sort of sounds wrong to say it. Mm. Um, but, you know, so many things have come to light and uh, I think we'll see a lot of change in the structure of the New Zealand health system and the funding structures. And I think we will also see there's already lots of power dynamics happening behind the scenes and I think that's ultimately quite good. But in a practical way, I think... It's really tested our primary and secondary and tertiary services to think about lots of things and like how they put together their services and how how they adopt things and and even just as an exercise, yeah. it's been um, profound. And obviously, the attitudinal changes that we've had towards digital medicine literally changed overnight on the twenty yeah. second of March. It was like boom, okay, seventy percent of everything is digital and primary care, yeah. and they were just like, whoa, you know. So, I think, yeah, I hope we look back on it as a massive catalyst for change, and I hope we don't, you know, actually see COVID again. What have been some of the biggest struggle for you in life and what did you learn from it? <laughs> Again, kind of coming back to that, like, um, I don't fit in a clear category. Just kind of not knowing what I was going to do and I was, you know, uh, uh. and then kind of like, you know, and I was in my mid-20s and then all of a sudden I was coming out and that was really weird. Like, I was like, wow, this is really weird and awkward and that kind of challenges your perception of self because you're like, oh, I don't want people to like say these things about me. And then so you really learn to like, you know, for a while there I didn't like, wouldn't tell anyone I had a girlfriend or like use pronouns. I just would be really super evasive. And then everyone was like, why is she acting so weird? My parents at one thought, thought, (laughs) time thought I like had like cancer or something. (laughs) So weird. Yeah. They were like, what the hell is wrong with you? uh yeah so I think those are you know coming out like it's sort of (laughs) I I mentioned once at a talk years ago I was saying like oh you know after during this time you know I was coming out of the closet I was at medical school it was all kind of weird and I felt really strange and then I went to India and I tried to find myself but all I really found in India was like gastro and it was just this kind of like weird time uh, of just like what the hell you know like I thought I was going to be eat pray love (laughs) I think all those things they teach you something Uh, and then so through that process I think I learned to just not care about like what people say and that certainly helps you know it certainly helps you know I started some of that social media stuff uh, under Dr. Sash and that was really scary for me and I was like oh my gosh like but I just wanted to do it because I just wanted to talk about health to everyone on the internet you know and that was kind of really gnarly for me at the time because I thought oh god oh you know and now I'm like eh okay keep going and trying new things and trying new things and and people do put you down and you do get criticism and you do get stuff from other doctors who think that you're this or that or you know you're whatever and and what what I've realized now is that 
over time though they see that if you're being authentic then people do see that yeah so you know like I think if you just keep sticking to your authentic voice then in the end most people are like oh yeah that's cool Mm. because you're not like trying to be anyone else so I think yeah those are probably maybe not my greatest struggles but those are some of the struggles that have helped me get to a position where it's like well maybe just truth and authenticity I can't really, you can't really go wrong if you stick to a couple of principles yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're changing and trying to find yourself, you're still not trying to be someone else. Uh, how do you think we can enable more women to start their own businesses? I think more women are starting yeah. startups more, and I think more women are starting businesses. In, in New Zealand, I think one of the major issues we have is around funding. We sort of have had some groups doing startup investment and you know, more formal seed and Series A and stuff. But generally in the past, it's been very small and the environment has been not seen as a serious, like too serious in a way. And so companies have really struggled to raise funds. I think where we could make a difference is always looking global first and making access to capital for not only women, but anyone, especially people from um, indigenous cultures, because, man, they're going to, that traditional kind of like knowledge that's going to like really change the game I think in the next 20 years bringing that tribal kind of perspective to global issues is is really going to help I'd say yeah access to capital and finding the right people who are willing to really go the distance yeah put your money where your mouth is and back them and what would you say are or what are some of the biggest struggles that you are facing running a business Man, just being a startup is a struggle. It doesn't matter if you're making a new brand of shoes or if you're a digital healthcare company or if you're a you know, new, new beverage. I mean, you're going to just, you know, startups are just hard and they're a hustle and you've got to manage hiring and staff and partnerships and policy and the tech and then you've got to manage your humans and then the customers and you're just managing so many things and then the funding and and the actual money and you're just the whole thing is just this kind of exercise and like juggling and I think um that's also the fun of it (laughs) is there anything that you didn't know before you went into business that you thought oh shit I wish I knew this before I started (laughs) Yeah, I think there's this perception that that you like make it at a certain point. You you don't. Like I actually heard someone say on a podcast recently, you know, oh, you know, 5 years ago he was like, "Oh, I had like five issues on my mind every night." And I would, it would keep me awake all night, you know, all these startup problems, but now it's like a hundred things and I've got 300 stuff, but I'm like more comfortable with it. Mm. So I think I now start to understand that more. And like I think your tolerance for I wouldn't say risk, but you're just your tolerance for the hustle and the juggle and and the uncertainty. You just get more immune to it. Yeah. And like more like okay, we'll figure that one out. Yeah, you just yeah. learn to accept it and be like, this is part of the journey. Yeah, but I think why people are attracted to people who end up doing startups is that. You sort of have to master yourself because you have to master your own emotions because there's like these massive highs and these low lows and then opportunity and then, oh, no, you know, like, so you're sort of like, oh, well, yeah. And I think you have to get a bit, you have to get kind of equanimous and quite zen about it. Otherwise, you'll go crazy. You know, you'll just, you'll burn out or you'll, 
get depressed or you you know like but you know bad things will happen yeah. and i think that startups with founders is you know the the sorry the, the statistics with founders is and mental health issues is really crazily high yeah i think especially around women because they just try to do everything or they think they have to do everything because they can do everything but it's not the case they don't have to do everything just because they can yeah you can't do everything no I think that's why you just have to have a good team. Yeah. Like you have to trust each other. Yeah, you have to trust that they're doing what they say they're going to do. And what have been some of the proudest moments in your life? I think when Taryn and I got married, that was pretty cool because like it was a you know it wasn't legal and then it was and then how long ago was that? When did we get married? <laughs> I remember. I think it was 2013. Yeah, it was 2013 because yeah. T we ended up sort of helping out a little bit with that campaign and we yeah. knew Lewis Wall and stuff and then we got married in 2014 and then then we had our son in 2016. So I'd say that you know like big milestone moments make you pretty proud. Yeah. And then I then I am proud of the company you know and I think it is cool that that I happen to be, you know, a female, gay, random weirdo uh, <laughs> running the show. I fit into the box. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, yeah, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that, that we've got some diversity in there. And I think there's power in that story being out there because Definitely. more people of color, of, of indigenous populations, you know, transgender, non-binary, like whatever you are and you want to represent, mm. get out there and get going, you know, like, there's, there's been enough tension created by a very small minority of pale male and stale rhetoric for the last few thousand years. Like I, again, I've got you know white guys in the com- company. There's nothing wrong with them. They're really they're really great. It's not their fault. Well, well, is it? Uh, you know, like, the question is more like, there's nothing wrong with their voice. Yeah. But there are other voices. Exactly. And as long as they're aware of their voices too, and yeah, know how like, to affect them and change it. And I think that's why we're seeing such change now is that people are angry, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Listen, damn it, you're just gonna listen to me now." Yeah. And I think, you know, we've had our own, we've had a very, our own unique story here in New Zealand, and I think, mm-hmm. in some ways, we're quite a, a wee ways ahead in terms of things, but we also still have systemic, you know, institutional, structural, internalized racism and. You only have to look at the health outcomes of our Māori and Pacific population yeah. to know that, like, we are a, a long way from being like, yeah, we sorted that, we sorted that out. It's like, no, we have not sorted it out, and we have a lot of work to do here, and we must continue that. It must continue to go on. And I think, as I said before, like, if we can, um, you know, focus on what our strengths are. We're a little island with creative thinkers. We have a really awesome indigenous population of humans and a real multicultural society. Well, let's chat. Let's go and tackle some big stuff, and let's have confidence to get out there and go. You know what? We're going to take this thing and we're going to kill it overseas. We're going to give it a hoot. And I think we can't compete with other com- countries that have, you know, five million of the speediest developers in the world, or the five million of the most amazing scientists. We just don't have that kind of capacity. So you have to focus on what we do have. Do you have a quote that you live by? Work, work, work to your drop? No. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what's the other one? I'm like, oh, God. You know, those are the ones that were drilled into me by my father. Winners never quit and quitters never win. And I just like to say, they're very unhealthy quotes, those two. You know, yeah. like, you, then you have absolutely no life balance and you just 
driven and it's not good. Um, they definitely, those two things, probably something that I have lived by, um, but something more personal. And it's going to sound cheesy because I know everyone's talking about, but, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. I think the greatest example you can be is the one that you live, right? So it's not about being, oh, actually, here's probably one recent one that I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Someone said to me, the just because you have strength of your opinion doesn't make it right. So for me, it's kind of like you can be the loudest person in the room and, and stamp, you know, out there and think you're totally right all the time but actually you, you might not be so maybe you just need to listen a bit better so I think for me it's like yeah I've learned a lot from my my family working hard wanting to change the world totally so just live it and be it and then to lead actually requires you to to listen great uh, how would you define success yeah living authentically and not giving not giving away your power or taking power from others just be who you are and I think the Gen Z is pretty awesome because they I don't think they're really bought into a lot of like the old dynamics yeah you know like sexuality yeah individualism and like sexuality and like it's all really fluid to them and they're just like they're very driven by cause and purpose and I think that's quite cool you know Whereas millennials were still a little bit like got chips on their shoulders, you know, yeah. you know, like, ah, boomers. But yeah, I think I'd say, yeah, be authentic. Okay, my last question. What advice would you give to your former self? Chill out. <laughs> Relax, have more sleep. Chronically like, my brain, and just being really like worried about things all the time. I'm like, nah, man. Do you feel like you're being becoming better at that? Some days I'd say definitely yes, and other days I'd be like, nah. Constant battle. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a battle. Definitely a battle. But yeah, definitely just chill out, like enjoy it. Like just enjoy where you are and enjoy the process. And I think at least now I'm more aware of that and more aware of the that my kid won't be four forever, I won't be this age forever, and things won't be this like this forever. So just enjoy it in all of its weirdness. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode... We are talking to Saina Jalil. She has a rich portfolio working in Asia to promote New Zealand trade and education. She's an MC, facilitator, and commentator on topics such as diversity and economic development. In this episode, we are focusing on how to find belonging and the benefits diversity brings to our country. Make sure to not miss out.